0: Thank you so much, ladies. That was beautiful. So good. I think we were supposed to announce that the young ones could go to their occasion. I am so thankful to be here. So thankful for each one of you. And I mentioned in the Sunday School Hour that I'm so thankful for your kindnesses and your love in Christ to Jack and I. And just receiving us and giving us the joy to grow and worship our great God together with each of you. Uh, so very thankful as well for Pastor Acker and uh, he is good. And I'm sure that you are thankful for him as well. One of the things that as I grow a little more mature, um, I'm increasingly thankful for the mother. I look back upon her and her dealing with us boys. I had three brothers, no sisters. I married a girl that had four sisters and no brothers. Been quite a learning experience, but not working. Difficult for me to stay here, but I'll do my best. Our sound guy says this thing, whatever it is, I don't know, these electronics. And my first love was electronics. Then I met my wife. And then I met the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's when I really fell so deep in love. But anyway, back to my mother. She was a very loving lady. In fact, as I look back at her, she she had a a love that was unquenchable. She had a a love for her boys that, oh, she recognized our sin and our faults, but you know it did not detour her for her love for us. As I've learned studying God's Word and learning more of our great God, I recognize more and more what she had was God's kind of love. A tremendous love. Other-centered not self-centered. And when Pastor Acker asked me if I would come and bring the morning message this morning, I prayed. I prayed and asking the Lord what would He want me to bring. And repeatedly, he kept bringing back God's kind of love. So this morning I want to launch off on something that perhaps is a little different. And you may not be accustomed to. I tend to be an expository preacher and I work my way through the Bible passage by passage. But this morning God has burdened me with this that is a little different. Would you turn with me to First Corinthians and chapter thirteen? 1 Corinthians and chapter thirteen. Notice what it says here in First Corinthians chapter 13, and the last verse, verse 13. And it gives us some truth here through, his, through God's penman, the Apostle Paul. It says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Charity translates that Greek word that is really God's kind of love. It's very interesting here that the preceding in this chapter addressing some of the problems that they had in the church at Corinth, and they had quite a few, the Holy Spirit moving His penman here brings this to their attention. And chapter 13 gives us a description of this kind of God's love. Notice what it says in verse 4. Charity, which translates that word for love, suffereth long. It endures. It stays there. And is kind. It is not self-centered. It is other-centered. It envieth not. It is wanting the best for everyone else, not thinking of self and what they might have, Charity vaunteth itself not. It's not filled with pride. It's not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. It behaves itself according to the right ways of God and in accordance with God's direction. It seeketh not our own. Again, as other-centered, not self-centered, not seeking this or that, but what's good for everyone else, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. You know, there's so much enjoyment in iniquity in our fallen world in which we find ourselves today. But this is not true of God's kind of love. But rejoiceth in the truth. They, They rejoice in the truth, not evil, not those things of man. Beareth all things. It is enduring. It continues to hold up. Believeth all things. There the believing, of course, in the context would be in regard to God's things. His truth. His ways. His direction. What is good and right for man. And then in verse 8 it says, Charity never faileth. The word there is interesting it points to the fact that this love of God will never become idle. Never become idle. Never become inoperative. It is eternal. And you know why? Because God is love. And God is eternal. He has no beginning and He has no end. Now please note with me a few of the what I would consider major things in regard to this love, the kind of love that God is and has. It is selfless. Not self-centered, other-centered. Indeed, it is also eternal. Because you see, God is eternal. God has no beginning in any, as I just said. And the love... Will always be because that's what God is. As a matter of fact, in 1 John in chapter 4, twice it says there in distinct words that cannot be altered or misunderstood in my view. It simply says, God is love. Now I know that God loves. I know that he loves me. I know that He loves you. The Bible tells us that He loves the world and wants them to be reconciled unto Him, saved from their sin and the penalty of sin. But you see, it's more than that. It's deeper than that. Because that is what God is. Oh yes, He is righteous. A number of other things as well. But He is love. And Jesus Christ is God and our Savior, our Redeemer, our King, indeed, our Priest, is love. This is overwhelming. I don't know if it strikes you in your heart like it strikes me. But this is an incredible truth that I need to understand more deeply. It needs to direct me more deeply. And notice here, it now abideth. He's talking to God's children here. That's who's being addressed. And so really it's addressing us today. And so this, this is for us, God's children today, those who have been saved in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It abides in us. How is that? Because God gives it. That's how. When God saved us, He made us alive. He made our spirit that was dead alive. And part of all that He gave is that godly kind of love. I have to tell you, when I was in grade school... (coughs) <clears throat> and in the 7th grade, I came to class, and there was a new girl there. Her mother had moved up to Illinois where I was born and raised going to school. And I fell in love with that girl. I'd, uh, I'd never seen anything like her before. And... uh I'm not going to tell you how long we've been together, but uh, I won her. And uh, actually, the Lord had it all set. We've been married 61 years now. And after the message the pastor gave, was it last Sunday? I think it was last Sunday. I told a young fellow here, I said, you know, we've been married 61 years. I think I'll go for 62. But that love, which her grows stronger every day, really is not as deep, as huge, as God's love and even how I love Him. Because He first loved me, the Bible tells us. So it's abiding in us. It's at home in the saved. And there are three qualities here that I think is important when, uh, especially looking to man, and that's what's being addressed here, God's children. Number one is faith. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 11 tells us faith is a substance. I want to stop there just for a minute. The word there is very interesting, it is more than what supports everything. It's more than the foundation. It's the bedrock that all rests on. Very, very interesting. And so faith is the substance of things hoped for, anticipated, looking forward to, the evidence of things not seen. You see, it's a spiritual gift from God. Spiritual insight. It's, it's where He gives us conviction of what is true. An understanding. Relying on it totally. And growing in it. Action upon belief. Action upon belief. How? By God's grace. And you'll find that expounded further in Hebrews chapter 11. Secondly, notice is the word hope. And this hope is not wishful thinking like we use it today. I'm appalled at how uh, Satan changes our usage and understanding of what ger- words mean. I don't know about you, but I threw my dictionaries away and got me an old Webster dictionary before man has made all the changes to it. Well, hope here actually points to anticipation. Anticipating what God will do. Expecting what God will do. And uh it is... Enablement that God gives. So we're looking to that. And then, thirdly, notice this charity, this God's kind of love, biblical love, God's perfect love. And notice it, he makes a point and emphasizes here to us that of these three, this is the greatest. The greatest. And it's interesting too to me that it's tied to the other two. Well, God kept bringing something to my mind and I dismissed it and tried to get out of it and get into other things here in God's Word. But He kept bringing back the quality of loyalty that is part of God's kind of love think about it real loyalty God's kind of loyalty is eternal it is undiminished it is other centered not self-centered it is really selfless well I couldn't get rid of that and So I kept praying. God kept bringing to my mind examples of God's kind of love shown in His Word. I don't know how you look upon this book. This is God's Word to the depths of my heart. And not anything or anybody will convince me of anything else. So I couldn't get rid of the idea of loyalty it's unquenchable, it's always there, like God's true love, selfless and all of that. And so I decided, okay, 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 God. And I got out my concordance and I looked to find loyal, loyalty and its other forms in the Bible. In the Masoretic texts and the received texts, <laughs> you know what? Wasn't there. And so I'm talking to the Lord, and God, I don't understand. It's obvious you've burdened my heart with this idea of loyalty. Why do I not find it in Your Word? I kept praying, thinking about different things that God teaches in His Word. And I come to realize that faithfulness gives even deeper meaning than our word, loyal, itself. And so, (laughs) I begin to look at faithfulness. You know, faithfulness is being faithful to what's right. Faithfulness is being true to any person. And certainly that is what God is. He is eternally, infinitely faithful. So, I begin to look at that. There's volumes in God's Word. I wish I had, oh, maybe a couple days and had the energy and ability just to continuously share all that I learned. We don't have time. So let me give you just a little bit. Okay? If I may... Would you turn with me to Isaiah in chapter 11? Isaiah in chapter 11. Isaiah is filled with prophecy. Filled with prophecy. And here in chapter 11, it regards the tribulation and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and His setting up and ruling during the thousand-year millennial reign here on planet Earth. That's the thrust of this chapter. And so what we've got here, among other things, is how Jesus Christ will rule during these thousand years. In fact, it's how Jesus Christ rules because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, I want you to notice here verse 5. It describes some of this. It says, And righteousness shall be the girdle of His loins, speaking of Christ the Messiah, and faithfulness the girdle of His reins. Now, we're a farming community. (laughs) And uh, maybe you don't have any horses where you live, but we understand horses. And we understand that horses guide, excuse me, reins guide the horse. I had two as a little boy. One was ornery, and uh, one was a good horse, three year old, and he was rain broke. You didn't have pull on the reins, just put it against his neck, and boy, he had turned. And so we understand what reigns mean here. It's what guides a person's action. It's what guides a person's direction. It's what guides what a a person does. How he does what he does. And so here it speaks of Christ. Now one of the things that God is, we've seen and we just talked about the fact that God is love. It's more than He loves us. He is love. That's what He is. He is also righteousness. In fact, the matter is, Jesus Christ is truth. And that's why in Hebrews it says God cannot lie, because truth cannot lie. So, here the guiding thing, the things that moves the Lord Jesus, directs the Lord Jesus, notice here, is righteousness, but also brought out in verse 5 here, faithfulness. Now, faithfulness then is a quality that moves Jesus' actions and His rule. And so loyalty is a moving quality in all that Jesus does and has done. And will do for that matter. Notice faith is a key word here of faithfulness. And fullness then expands and modifies the meaning there. Now, in looking at this, I found that the Greek word also so translated, mirrors the Hebrew word here, translated faithfulness. I find that extremely interesting. And so, in regard to man, the the meaning is primarily then a firm persuasion, yes, absolutely, a conviction based on hearing and what God has given us a quality of being totally persuaded. And interestingly, I found that its use in the, in the New Testament is always in regard to God, Christ, and spiritual things. Now, Faithfulness, I found, is faith in action. We see that just in the Word. And also, I found that faithfulness appears in my English Bible 19 times. Now, I wish we had time to look at each of these appearances because they are extremely instructive. But... Let me just boil some things down. I said a little bit, remember. You see, God's love is infinitely, unmeasurably loyal. God is infinitely faithful. That takes us even deeper than our word, loyal. In fact, how we use it today so distortedly. When you examine God's use of these words in regard to man, you find God's power in it. Grace. God's moving. And so what you have here then is Hebrews chapter 11. regarding faithfulness regarding loyalty in regard to man what god's power brings you find one a firm conviction producing a full acknowledgement of god's revelation and truth two you find in regard to what God gives to man, an undying personal surrender to God in moving in God's power. And there again you've got Hebrews chapter 11. and it gives you a better understanding there of what God did through these men of His and women. Three, a conduct, and don't miss this, a conduct that is moved and fueled by God. We understand what fuel is, right? Whether it's gasoline or diesel fuel or whatever it might be. Sometimes for me it's a cracker when I get kind of feeling bodily spent. (laughs) But it it is indeed a conduct that is moved by and fueled by this surrender to God. It's interesting as you look at the occurrences that prominence is given to one or, or more of these elements according there. And let me give you one example. Just one. I'm having a difficult setting behind this pulpit. I'll tell you that. <clears throat> Abraham's faith who was a man known as a man of faith. Abraham's faith rested on more, more than, than God's promise. You look at Romans chapter 4, verses 17, 20, and 21, you see there that actually his faith rested upon God Himself. And beloved, that's where our faith needs to rest. On God. I don't know about you, but whenever I get distracted, I'm weak and I'm in trouble. Because I'm not living, walking by the power of God. Well, okay, you're probably bored to death. Wish that uh, the pastor would never ask me to come. We've looked at some of the technical just a little bit. I would like to now take a look at some of the examples of this in regard to God. You know, there are many aspects of true love. And inseparable is the characteristic of loyalty of fidelity, of righteousness. And I could go on. When God created mankind in Adam and Eve, you know, you've seen it, you've, you've learned it, Adam and Eve willfully disobeyed their all-wise God. Yes. They, in fact, turned from being loyal to God. That was not true love for God. It wasn't. And yet, God, who is true love, He is love, He is loyal in it, covered them with clothing. A biblical picture of a covering for sin. And you know what? He did not abandon them. I see repentance there. But looking at God, God in His true love was and continues and always will be loyal because it's part and parcel of what love, true love, God's kind of love is. We know. We've been taught. We see it shown repeatedly in God's Word that the wages... What one earns from sin is death. You know, that's stated in the beginning of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. I recognize that. But it's also throughout God's Word. And God has made, and He continues to make that clear to mankind numbers of times. Look around. Death is everywhere. Death is everywhere. The animals die. Vegetation dies. It's just clearly death is everywhere. Even out in the expanse, planets, stars, all of it. Because man's sin as God warned, brought that. Now, I have an inquisitive mind. I don't know if you do. It's not bad altogether. <laughs> um, did Adam know that sin would bring death to all of God's creation? I believe he did. And I'll tell you why I believe He did. Because God had placed them over all that He had created, over the animals and everything else. And He told them clearly that if they would sin, if they would disobey Him, they would die. Death would come. And so, he who was responsible for what God had given him surely would have known that in my view. Now, God reveals in His Word that life is in the blood. In fact, in Hebrews, it points out that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness before God of our sin. There was a doctor in England years and years ago reading this started what we have developed further into modern day blood transfusions. Beloved, clearly, clearly here, unless one dies to one's being a sinner, and that's the root, I do sin. Each of you do sin. But the reason we do is because we are sinners. Saved, yes, praise God. Worship. In the blood of Christ, yes, praise God. But that fallen nature is still there. My wife has had more than one puppy. Some of them have had a very shrill and irritating to me bark. I worked at teaching them, don't bark. But you know what? They do bark. You know why they do bark? Because dogs bark. Now, I can bark, but I don't have to bark because I'm not a dog. But a sinner does sin, you see. But God, (laughs) in His uh, immense, eternal, overwhelming love, solve that for me and you and any who would come to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Unless one dies to sin and one's turning to Jesus for forgiveness and life, that one will spend eternity separated from God. That's what death is. And the problem is a lot of times we have actions we don't realize what the results are going to be. And I have discovered in talking to so many that a lot do not understand what death means. I've had some, I've had some tell me, oh, my friends are going to be in hell. Listen, beloved, there is no friend in hell. My heart is torn. by some that reject God, reject the Lord Jesus Christ, who oh, loved them so much that He died in their place that they could come and receive forgiveness and life through Him. years ago now, before God finally reached the depths of my heart and called me to serve Him in a different way, I was working for an emerging company. Excuse me, I'm having trouble with this. That's not of the Lord, that's of me. (laughs) So... The company I was working for came out with a new product, and um, it had engineering problems. And they installed the biggest one ever they installed. Matter of fact, one of the first ones down in, at E.F. Hutton in New Orleans, Louisiana. And so I went down there and installed the thing and started working on these engineering problems. We got about two and a half hours sleep a night. After the first week, you feel green, but after that, you kind of get used to it. And every other weekend, I was able to fly home with family. We lived in Houston at the time and uh, <clears throat> be with them Saturday uh, for the most part of the day, evening, and then I'd have to head fly back Sunday afternoon. Well, Got on the plane head back down to New Orleans Louisiana and it was a tough time. I had these problems I was facing there in in uh, New Orleans and uh, engineering at the home office of the factory they didn't solve anything couldn't 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 get the answers and so there I was faced with that and I'm thinking about this and I'm riding there in a the plane toward the back and There wasn't very many people on the plane. Looking out the window and the lights below. I don't know where we were. Maybe over the eastern part of Texas. Maybe over the western edge of Louisiana. I don't know. But headed towards New Orleans. And and you know, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to reprove me of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And... I was I started cry. I know men aren't supposed to cry, but I want to tell you I realized that I had sinned so terribly against God. I got off my seat and I knelt on that carpet runner on that plane and leaned over my seat. I can still remember vividly the texture of the seat. And in tears I cried out to God, O oh God, in Your mercy, please forgive me. And He did. He saved me in Christ. I've had people say, you didn't do that. What did people think? You know what? I don't care what people think really. Oh, I do in a way. But what I care about is what God does think. What He thinks. Well, I don't believe. I don't believe there's a greater example, a greater showing of the true love of God and the characteristic of loyalty that is there in that love than Jesus going to the cross and dying for the likes of me and that others could come, be born again, adopted into the family of God. It's overwhelming because you see, in regard to myself, Jesus died in my place. That's what I deserved. But He took it and died for me if I would receive it, and I did. You know what? That's loyalty. Because prior to that plane ride, I had my back turned to God. I didn't want to hear about Him. Church? Oh, come on. Never. (laughs) Here I am. But you know, Jesus' loyalty didn't end at the cross. No. One day He's going to take His blood-bought children to His home for all of eternity. I'm eager to go. And yet there's work that needs to be done here. same token, God will give those who reject Him, want to be separated from Him totally, He will give them their desire. The thing they don't understand is that if you get completely separated from God, you are separated from all good because only God is good. Can we comprehend this only by the revelation that the Holy Spirit brings into our hearts? Jesus made the point that all the commandments, all the right ways came from or flowed from the very first, and that is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our might. And then, of course, our neighbor as ourselves. I mentioned earlier that twice in First John chapter four there, it makes a statement that God is love. This is really revealed throughout God's word, and that love is perfect. That love is selfless, it is other-centered, it is unquenchable, it is without end, because God is without end. He is eternal. He will always be. you know let me share just one example that crushes my heart and grieves my heart that i see today and seems to me increasingly prevalent and there are many others adultery is not loyal Adultery is self-centered. Adultery is not true love for one spouse. It's not according to God's ways. It's not loving God. Because you see the love of God is eternally loyal. Oh, beloved, what a tremendous battle we are in. What a tremendous battle with fallen nature, with the wiles of Satan and the host that follows him. And yet there's forgiveness in Christ. There's life in Christ. There's ongoing victory in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' grace, in biblical faith, in true love for God, with loyalty to Him, because God is loyalty loyal to us. And I mentioned it in Sunday school. We need to always have on the full armor of God, as this, as taught in Ephesians chapter six that we might continue to live in victory. You know what, beloved? We all, all of us, need to march for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if there was a Baptist here, I'd sure hear an amen to that. A few years ago, I attended a funeral for a very dear friend named Dick Tice. Dick was a pilot in World War II. On May the 3rd, 2001, I opened up what emails I might have, and Dick had sent me a news report that was in a paper in Florida. And he knew the man that was addressed in this report He was familiar with the incident. The man was a fellow Christian. And they enjoyed some times together flying in World War II. Let me read the report. An old man walks down a Florida beach. The sun sets like an orange ball on the horizon. The waves slap. The sand and the smell of salt water stings the air. The beach is vacant. No sun to entice sunbathers. Not enough light for the fishermen. So aside from a few joggers and strollers, the gentleman is alone. He carries a bucket in his bony hand. A bucket of shrimp. It's not for him. It's for the seagulls. He walks to an isolated pier, cast in gold by the setting sun. He steps out to the end of the pier. The time has come for the weekly ritual. He stands and waits. Soon the sky becomes a mass of dancing dots. The evening silence gives way to the screeching of birds. They fill the sky and then cover the moorings. They are on a pilgrimage to meet the old man. For half an hour or so, this bushy, browed, shoulder-bent gentleman will stand on the pier, surrounded by the birds of the sea, until his bucket is empty. But even after the food is gone, his feathered friends still linger till they they share a moment further together. This man, as I mentioned, had been saved. And he was here thanking God, my comment. Let me get back to the article. The old man on the pier couldn't go a week without saying thank you. His name is Eddie Rickenbacker. And if you were living October in 1942, you probably remember the day that he was reported missing at sea. During the war, he had been sent on a mission to deliver a message to General Douglas MacArthur. With a hand-picked crew in a B-17 known as the Flying Fortress, he set off across the South Pacific. Somewhere, the crew became lost. The fuel ran out and the plan went, plan, excuse me, plane went down. All eight of the crew members escaped into the life rafts. They battled the weather, they battled the water, they battled the Starks, yes, and they battled the sun. But most of all, they battled hunger. After eight days, their rations were gone. They ran out of options. It would take a miracle for them to survive. And a miracle occurred. After an afternoon devotional service there on those rafts, the men said a prayer and tried to rest. As Rickenbacker was dozing with his hat pulled over his eyes, something landed on his head. He would say later that he knew it was a seagull. He didn't know how he knew, he just knew. The gull meant food. If he could catch it, and he did. The flesh was eaten, the intestines were used as fish bait, and... They all ate, survived. In the article, it goes further and it says, what was a seagull doing hundreds of miles away from land? We know. God knows. He knew. The article goes on and says, but whatever the reason, Rickenbacker was thankful And as a result, every Friday evening, the old captain walked to the pier, his bucket full of shrimp, and his heart full of thanks. You know, as I was brought reacquainted to this truth, this article, uh, Rickenbacker was visited by a sacrificial visitor. And planet Earth has been visited by a sacrificial visitor, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself his life to die for the sin, for any who would come, that they could receive life through his precious shed blood. What a picture of Jesus, the Savior of the world! And it's because Jesus is love. And Jesus is loyal. He is faithful. Faithful. Beloved, we need to be loyal to God. We need to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. To His way. Him as Lord King. Have each of us? Have we? I've run over this morning and so I'd like to close without a hymn. I'd ask us to stand together.